Welcome to the latest installment of the Sharp Best Ball Show. I am your host, Todd Burrows, at Best Ball NFL. And this week, we have a returning champion in the personage of Hayden Winks of Underdog Fantasy. He is joining us, and we will mainly be speaking about the weekly winner's format, a format that I am obsessed with, as I think due to how different it is than traditional best ball the opportunity to make good profit on it is available. And speaking of Underdog Fantasy, this show is sponsored by Underdog Fantasy and the biggest fantasy football tournament of all time, Best Ball Mania 4. Don't know what best ball is? It's simple. You just enter Best Ball Mania on Underdog's slick mobile app, draft your team, and that's it. Yep, it's set and forget as Underdog optimizes your lineup weekly to create the highest scoring one it's here it's best ball mania four and it's your shot at a first place prize of three million dollars and if you get signed up on underdogfantasy.com or via the app store and use the code SharpKit, they'll not only double your first deposit up to a hundred dollars but you'll also receive the sharp football draft kit for just one dollar that includes over 40 exclusive fantasy football articles, which will help your chances at winning the $3 million grand prize. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code SHARPKIT. And now, let's bring in Hayden. Hayden, buddy, I am so stoked to have you back and to talk about this format. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Always loved coming on uh, the Sharp Network. And I just wanted to say, has anyone ever told you that you have ideal, like, stadium announcer voice, radio voice? When you're reading that, it re- I can just picture you uh, announcing the player names at the Coliseum. My dad was a public address announcer for high school and college games. Interesting. And I've never had that interest. But if anyone ever wanted me to do more than my little best ball podcast, I would be more than happy. I and I've I haven't studied. I have to think I could get better if I actually mm-hmm. went to someone who said, "No, this is what you need to do." You know, breathe, or, you know, don't, don't, you know, don't drool or you know, whatever. <laughs> um, so, uh, a thank you. That was very kind of you. And B, you were the driving force behind this weekly winners format in a lot of ways. Why don't you give us the background story? Because I like stories. Yeah. So at Underdog Fantasy, one of our like company goals is to always be innovating. And that's something that we think that the gaming industry has not done enough. You kind of have your core product and you just like let that ride out. Underdog Fantasy, we're taking this long-term approach where we want to have new games that have never been played before because we think that the American market is used to these fantasy games and very niche games that we grew up playing. So one of the things we want to do is after innovating the best ball products, how do we make the next big thing since we are, are, have the biggest best ball tournament. And to me, weekly winners made a lot of sense because in best ball mania Four, love the contest, love everything about it. But there was this narrative last year that you can't check your best ball teams until week 14, when a lot of the money is. Well, I think that's kind of dumb that underdog fantasy is controlling a lot of the offseason narratives. But then when actual NFL games were playing, nobody was really checking the app. So I wanted to come up with a best ball slash DFS type of model. And that's what weekly winners is. It's 17 weeks. Your entire team resets every single week. So if Cooper Cup misses some time, you can ride the major Cooper Cup weeks. If he gets eliminated, you're not going to be completely 
out of luck and there's a lot of game theory elements and a lot of the players that are on underdog fantasy love game theory a lot of poker background a lot of that stuff a new game is where a lot of the uh the a lot of the edge is if you can figure out what the differences are if you've applied it to the principle so i'm not surprised that players like you have loved this contest yeah i i i have this issue and you know I think it's rare that as you get older, you still have that drive to be the best, right? And I feel like I've got that, right? Like I want to learn from my mistakes. I want to be better. I came in 10th in the FFPC two years ago. I was fourth last year. And my only takeaway after, you know, pretty much being very pretty profitable the last two years was, damn, I sucked at this and I sucked at that. And one thing I really suck at, Hayden, is I'm a late adapter. And, and it's hurt me my whole life. And the light bulb went on with this contest. And what it really reminds me of is when Captain Mode came out for DFS. I think it's a very similar dynamic where, you know, a lot of what you think you know about DFS doesn't matter in Captain Mode. And one of my early takeaways was, man, this is kind of free. You know, once I started doing this, I was like, this is freeing, you know, to all those rules that I, I apply to tournament best ball, you like 80% of them, I feel like you can throw out the window, your thoughts. Yeah. So that's the fun of this is there's not a data set to learn off of. There isn't that much content out there. We have not seen this actually play out. So there's a lot of uncertainty where people can have different takes. I think some of the best ball practices will still matter here just because of the same type of draft. It's still 18 rounds against 11 other players. They're still coming for a top percentile, but there are uniqueness angles with this payout structure where the advancement isn't the thing that matters. So like you can't only run one quarterback uh, out there in best ball mania four because you need to advance and there's, you need the second quarterback to help your points. But in this, there are paths where you can have one quarterback. In fact, I end up could be the optimal. I think that's kind of what you're implying here is the one quarterback teams. It's are not the just that. And, mm -hmm. you know, part of the show is going to be um, part of the sh uh, show is going to be me showing you some of my drafts that I've done. And when we do that, I will uh, go deeper into some of the other things that I have thrown out. Okay. Um, you know, uh, one example is, you know, I, I mean, I would, I haven't done it, but I'd be willing to do two or three running backs as long as they were like first, second, third round running backs. I've done teams with six wide receivers, but the, all six are in like the first eight rounds and mm -hmm. then I'm done. Um, and I'll go into that more as we, you know, kind of my thoughts on it. But, you know, bye weeks, um, there, there's just so many things that exposure. I don't give a crap about exposure in this. Um, so we'll go through that. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the reaction. Are you happy with the reaction that this has gotten? And do you think it's going to fill at this rate? Yeah, so the first thing is whenever you're uh, creating a new product, most people don't like change. So the baseline is everyone's going to hate it. So the fact that we've already done $1.5 million in entries for this, to me, is pretty promising. We made this thing pretty big. $3.5 million was a big risk that our management took. We did not need to make it 
this big right now it's pacing at a decent level i wouldn't say that's guaranteed to to fill i wouldn't say it's guaranteed to overlay we're doing about one ish percent per day there's 37 days left that already gets us to about 80 percent filled but there's this kind of exponential thing that happens out there RT manages all this stuff. They're looking at how fast BBMs fill and they're going to launch this tournament, all that stuff. That's why we keep our uh, a lot of flexibility with our tournament. So long story, I think that this is a promising game. A lot of the best ball grinders have really seen uh, a lot of promise with this game. Um, so we'll see. I don't think that we have a good answer if it's going to fill or not. I think it will be probably decently close if it doesn't. Um, but I think that BBMs for sure going to fill at this point. I would say weekly winners has a little bit of room to catch up a little bit. Yeah. I, um, I feel like um, when people smell overlay, so, you know, you need 1% a day if you're getting, I mean, if you need one and a half per day, you know, you're probably going to need two to 3% down the stretch, mm -hmm. but I think you can get most of it if, because people will chase that overlay. I, Especially like, if BBM got, fills early. Yeah. I Oh, if that does, yeah. I, but right now, that looks like it's going to be right down to the wire, too, just like mm -hmm. that. Uh, Rohim M. is watching, and he likes my new Ted Lasso sign. I do, too. You know, it's always hard for me to, like, like something enough to actually put it on my wall. <laughs> and, you know, my favorite player of all time, Lawrence Taylor, I just added the fat head. And I love the Ted Lasso show so much. So thank you for noticing. Uh, and thanks for joining the show. So, um, you know, I was against the format be before I became obsessed with it. What I love so much of the format is it allows me to keep my knowledge of best ball while breaking all the rules. Um, and we'll get into that, as I said, a little bit more. Um, what is the biggest thing you think people are having trouble wrapping their head around with the format? Well, you, you had this in your notes, and it was the thing I was going to bring up, is every single player, not every single player, but most of the players are going to be drafted uh, 2,100 times, but only seven per, or 7,000 people cash. So even if you have the Justin Fields 45-point game, well, there's still going to be more uh, teams out there that have Justin Fields that are going to cash. So there's this uniqueness angle that is going to be required to win this thing and how many points you actually need. I've seen some research out there that you need about like 200-ish points uh, from your starting lineup to kind of cash. If, if not more. I think If not more. Be, I think you're going to run into 180 to like 220 on yep. the average week, depending if it's by, you know, how mm -hmm. many teams are playing and things of that nature. Yep. And I meant to do a little more studying on how many – must have weeks out of 17 there were last year. And what I mean by that is, you know, was there a player and how many weeks was there a player who lapped the field, mm -hmm. right? Um, if there's not, well, then a less focused approach at least has a shot because you could have, you know, a combination of the top two or three guys. But if you've got a, that 45-point Cooper Cup week, there's 21,499 other teams that mm -hmm. are going to have Cooper Cup. And so then it becomes, as you mentioned, and I agree with you, I think it's the thing that I think people are having their hardest. It was, it was, And that was my epiphany moment when I decided to really go for this, is I realized just how difficult it would be to win this. 
and just how aggressive you have to be to win it. And mm -hmm. you and you're saying the same thing, correct? Yeah, I definitely am. So there's a couple different angles with that. But I think that's the top layer thing to how to solve this game. Number one, I think that people might be overstacking teams a little bit too much. If you need that Cooper Cup game, you need Cooper Cup to dominate. You don't need Tyler Higby doing things or anything like that. You need Cooper Cup soaking up a lot of that. And if there's a lot of team stacking that's happening, rightfully so. But I think that people are overstacking. And what we've seen in particular is the teams uh, with players that are drafted in the first, second, or third round, their teammates are getting pushed up because everyone's saying keep team stacking. For example, just last week or two weeks ago, Kadarius Tony was going ahead of Chris Godwin. So you can tell me right now that Patrick Mahomes was the quarterback. You need 38 points, whatever it is. I would still take Chris Godwin's odds of finishing as the top three wide receiver on that week over Kadarius Tony in that exact environment. And more of the Patrick Mahomes teams are were drafting Kadarius Tony than Chris Godwin. So to me, I'm trying to get my team stacks, but I've been doing more single stacks in this environment because when you're looking at BBM, there's a teammate advancement that's helping if you drafted a third or fourth or fifth player from a team. That doesn't really matter in a one-week sample here. A lot of the times, it's just like the one wide receiver that you had to get, the one running back that you had to get. So I'm kind of aware right now that like players like Rasheed Rice is going ahead of Rondell Moore. This is the one that drives me crazy. Darnell Mooney is going ahead of Juju Smith-Schuster. To me, that projection doesn't make any sense. And the only reason why Darnell Mooney is going ahead of Juju Smith-Schuster is Mac Jones goes undrafted, and Justin Fields' uh, teams are going out of their way to push up Darnell Mooney. I think that even if Justin Fields is the guy you need, would you rather have Darnell Mooney or Juju Smith-Schuster straight up? I would still rather have Juju Smith-Schuster because I think that he projects way better. So I think that I'm looking to try to find like single stacks, one quarterback, one wide receiver, one quarterback, or one tight end. And I'm not trying to pull up all these teammates because you really do need every single one of these players in your starting lineup to have a really big week. Roheen jumps in again with, do you think any team will hit the max optimal lineup for a given week? Probably I don't not. care. You know, yeah. no offense, Roheen, but I don't care. My, I'm not looking to make the optimal lineup. I'm looking to win a week. And we're mm -hmm. going to give you a lot of good ideas on how to do that. Um, so back to you, Hayden. Are you saying that you are you are less interested? If because if I heard you right, what you're saying is you're not as interested in the second part of a team stack mm -hmm. because if you get. Well, it, because we're looking for such a high-end outcome that you really only, in general, want one player stacked with a quarterback? Is that what you're saying? Yes. I think that the secondary stack, the third stack on your team is going to help your advance rates over the, cross, of the course of the season. It also is going to help you finish in like the top fifth percentile of a weekly tournament. I'm not convinced that it's the best outcome for a top 0.1% finishes and that's what we were talking about when you were saying that you need the top 10 to finish across uh to be profitable um if you're doing a max entering this thing so to me it's just get in there and get out so like to me it'd be like just devonta smith and jalen hurts miss me with the dallas goddard in bbm i would rather have dallas goddard on that team than without but really i want jalen hurts rushing in two times and i want Dev devonta smith scoring the two touchdowns on that week that's how you can really separate i think that it just goes back to the thing you're talking about all those Jalen Hurts teams, only a third of them are actually cashing. How are you going to differentiate if 
three or four or more of your picks have the same uh, players as these other guys that have the, the Jalen Hurts team that you need, it's going to be hard to differentiate. So I think that's one way to do it. A lot of these kind of like mid, like RB3, RB4 tier of running backs, I don't think they have the weekly ceiling. I would rather skip that tier, like the Khalil Herbert tier, and I would drop down and I would be drafting the running backs that are backups to the elite running backs. So I would rather have Elijah Mitchell, for example, because if Elijah Mitchell is the guy that you need, you've just eliminated all of the Christian McCaffrey teams. That's already 8% of the field that's already gone. The Khalil Herbert, if he goes off, well, you're not really eliminating the Roshan Johnson or Deonta Foreman teams. Those, those are so late in picks. I want the ceilings of the offenses that have a RB1 level scheme, environment, offensive line, whatever it is. And I want to take advantage of sniping off some of these teams if there is an injury. So to me, the only thing that matters, can you score 20 plus points? I think it's roughly, if you think that you need 180 to 220 points to win this, your flex is going to have 24 points, something like it's going to be something crazy like that. So if you don't think that your player has a chance to have that level of a ceiling in a week, you basically can eliminate them. So there's a lot of players that like Jacoby Myers and stuff like, I just don't see him having that elite of a ceiling in this offense. I would rather take some more gambles on some of these like running back handcuffs that have passes scoring 22, 24, 25 points in a given week. I will say this is one of those. So I agree with both the larger premise that you were talking about and most of the shorter premise. I do like Jacoby Myers because I think he could surprise and I think he could get you some 20 point weeks. Um, but in certain builds, but in general, this is another one of those things that I was talking about that you just got to throw out the idea of a floor, right? I, 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 you know, in, in regular best ball tournament teams, I need to balance enough of a floor with enough of a ceiling so that my team can mm -hmm. win the regular season and then be supercharged enough to get through each of the three weeks of the playoffs. And as you have seen, there are guys who get you 15 points in the winning lineup, right? So, uh, you know, so I, I, that's a, that's one right there. I think the concept of, of floor in this tournament is way less valuable. And if you, as you look through a lot of my teams, it's guys, I love Elijah Mitchell. Your example was perfect because if Christian McCaffrey goes down, you're taking out those eight and a half percent of teams and again, we don't need Christian McCaffrey to miss every week. We just need him to miss the week when you're... So, so this takes me back to my number one strategy. My number one strategy is pick one guy on your team who is your... My, I, I've coined the term super spike week stud, right? Not a spike week stud, but a guy who can get you 40 points, right? Mm -hmm. And there's only about 15 of them in the NFL, right? So that's why I say I'm not as interested in, like Stefan Diggs, I think, has one 40-point week in like the last three or four years, right? He's consistent as heck. I'm not saying I would never take him, but, and this goes back to the other thing, I am much less interested in Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, and Josh Allen because you have to basically take your first and your second round pick to get them in most drafts. And if you're right, there's still 21,000 teams, you know, 
uh, maybe with uh, with the with the you know what do you think forty percent of those teams, thirty percent of those teams are going to have the stack. You know, you really haven't done much. So as we go along, uh, we'll go through. I I do I do like I do like Josh Allen more than the other two because I think he can get there without digs. A what lot e- I was just going to ask you. Wouldn't the Geno Smith team, they're still stacked and they still have been drafted 21,000 times because he's being drafted every single time. So what's the, to, to you, what is, what is it different? Is, is it the opportunity cost of the second round that you're worried it, about? Like first that's and the- second round. Yes. Right. In, in, in other words, if your team advances and fights its way to the finals of a, a best ball mania, that Josh Allen digs is maybe 4% owned together, right? Maybe 5% owned. Um, you know, because you figure 30 percent and then each week you're losing teams. Right. Um, so, yes, that, I mean, I, it, it, it to me. I think in this, I'm much more willing to try and make unique combinations early with a later stack. You know, That's I love to me. get. Uh, you know, th- I mean, again, I think you have to have in your portfolio some Hurts, some Mahomes, uh, some Josh Allen. But Josh Allen is clearly my favorite. And 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 I'll go uh, when we get to the one lineup I'm talking about. Uh, I will give it. I will give you the example, and we can take that a little further. Um, I see. I just in general, I think the elite quarterbacks in the second and third round have offered enough separation in, in half PPR. Um, and on top of that, when you draft them, you are at least, if assuming you're right, you are right, you're going to be dragging one of your other draft picks up into your starting lineup. But like, for example, I think that like Josh Allen with Gabe Davis, like right now, Steph Diggs versus one of the first round running backs. If you drafted Josh Allen, like round two or three or whatever, and you have Austin Eckler, there's definitely uh, lots of drafts or weeks where Austin Eckler beats Steph Diggs straight up in the first round. Josh Allen's the quarterback that you need. He's separated. And then Gabe Davis beat out all the seventh-round picks, or now he goes a little bit earlier, fifth, sixth-round picks, because Josh Allen had that spike week. So I do think that drafting a, like a, a, a wide receiver two on an elite quarterback team is totally viable. So um, I, I, I just think that... If the, they have that spike profile like gabe davis does correct gabe davis i love gabe davis in this format yeah i think and i've really warmed up to him lately um he really seems to have put the work in in the off season agree and we know he has the opportunity and one of the real sneaky as a as a group i think we are really good at big picture figuring things out if a guy missed the year you know, we, we get that. But what we don't get is guys like Josh Allen who played through a bad elbow last year, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at your numbers, he was able to do that with a bad elbow. That's the kind of sneaky upside that I personally crave in, in both kinds of tournaments, yep. right? Um, if, you know, Russ Wilson had an injury that was nagging him most of last year. Um, no, there's a couple other guys in the NFL last year who played through injuries. And I don't feel that when, when you, uh, Mark Andrews is another one, Mark Andrews first five, six weeks, he Balling. averaged one point less a game than Kelsey. 
missed three or four games, but came back and played through injury, wasn't as effective. So his overall numbers don't look as good. Some mm -hmm. people get that. Like, I know you get that, but not everyone does. Yeah, and that's just going back to people looking at the spreadsheets too much and not applying the proper contact context with it. I will say, and it's kind of what the point that you're making with the Mark Andrews, for example, is I do still think that the raw projection matters a lot in this weekly winners. And I think that we've gotten away from that in this community a little bit too much, trying to find every little edge that's possible based off of game theory. But a lot of the times, like going back to that Kadarius Tony versus Chris Godwin example I made earlier, the projection to me still matters. Like even if you're adding the correlation and the stacking on stuff, the difference between Chris Godwin's projection and Kadarius Tony's projection was so significant that I think we're focused too much on this game theory stuff and we're forgetting what actually is going to differentiate yourself a little bit too much. And that is just the raw projection. So obviously you're adding a little bit of correlation whenever you can. That is helpful. But to me, we're talking about like the pecking order of like what things matter. I still think the actual player projection matters. And that's what you talked about when you said, you think there's about 15 players in the NFL that have a 40-point ceiling. To me, that's how I draft. I'm looking at the projections in the first two, three, four rounds, and then after I've nailed the projections, the players I think that actually have the highest odds of separating in that week, then I start looking at the stacks. Then I start looking at the weeks. Then by weeks and all that stuff, I filter that thing down. But to me, the first couple rounds, give me the guys that you think are actually going to separate over the position in a given week. Yeah, and all the more in this format. Right. Yes. Um, and so once I pick my super spike week stud, then my goal is how do I differentiate myself without giving up projection to do it? Right. right. Like I think it's perfectly fine to take Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews at the one two turn to differentiate because. To me, they have as high a ceiling as anyone, right? Correct. And if you can't get the stack any other way and you want that stack, I did it once, right? Mm -hmm. It's not it's not a go-to strategy. But uh, this goes back to something you mentioned on our first pod about how you like reaching more early because, you know, we get locked into this tight ADP early and really, the difference between the guys early isn't all that much. So, um, I, but, I, I, you know, Kadarius Tony over Chris Godwin, even in this format, I hate that with a passion. And if you have Kelsey and Mahomes and you're doing that, you should retire from weekly winners, right? Yes. If you're taking, you know, if you're taking Tony 20 picks early when you already have Kelsey, I, I would put out Hayden that you don't understand the game. I agree with that. And in weekly winners, talking about the early reaches, because only a third of the teams are cashing in the week that they go off. I like the what you said with the Mark Andrews and Lamar team, because right now, most of the teams, if you are getting that stack, it's at the two, three turn. So you're getting it's the same Justin Jefferson, Lamar, Mark Andrews stack. The fact that you're reaching on the other side of the board means all of that draft board that you're used to seeing. So now you're talking about your Jameer Gibbs, Calvin Ridley's that are sitting on the three, four turn. You're now pairing the same players or the, the same stack with different players all the way throughout. And that's how you differentiate if you're going to only have a third of these teams uh, cashing. When you do get the Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews thing, right? You need what you need in that scenario is you need Calvin Ridley, who's on the back half of round three, to outproduce the T. Higgins, Devonta Smith tier that's at the round two, three tier, or just Justin Jefferson 
doesn't have a good week and Calvin Ridley finishes the wide receiver one. So you're flipping the entire draft. And that's the flattest around. part of the draft for me. Uh, you know, when, when I, round three. I mean, there's really no one in the second round I love taking in normal drafts, right? Because I feel like they're all about the same. And uh, so, yeah, I think that is a great point, Hayden. Um, what are your thoughts on divisional stacks? So it's not something I've done, but I, I, I again, you know, there, there are two things that I see on Twitter people stacking bye weeks and people stacking the division. Mm -hmm. um, what, uh, let's, let's get your thoughts on both of those first. So step one to this would be, there is correlation. If you're adding divisional stacks, there's correlation. Correlation is a good thing. Same thing with the bye weeks. If, if your players are all stacked on the week five, that means they have a slight advantage for the rest of the weeks. So that's step one. It's a, in general, good strategy. The problem is with that a little bit is if everyone else is doing it, then you're running into the problem we we're just talking about. Is how are you differentiating? There's going to be such a combinational ownership overlap between those if everyone's just stacking divisions or the same bye weeks. So when you do get to week six and they aren't in playing against each other, whatever, all of a sudden it's harder for you to dif differentiate your team because there's a lot of overlap. So there's minor correlation that's positive, I guess. But I think a lot of it's being offset. So to me, it's not something I'm actually going out of my way. It's like the the first thing that you think about in this game, everyone goes to that. But if everyone's actually doing it and the advantage is only a little bit, and now there's all of a sudden this ownership that's being attributed to it, it's really just washed away the advantage. So to me, this is just goes back to like, I want the projected points that I think people that can differentiate could get you 30, 40 points. And I'm not as focused about the divisional stacks because it does seem like a lot of people are doing that. And I just think that the correlation difference is very minimal. So I'm focused on the single stacks, high upside picks, uh, flipping the, the draft board on its head, finding the upside picks at the running back two or the handcuff range that are actually going to chop off teams um, in the first round because their players got injured. I'm looking at those things more so than divisional stats. Rohin made a comment again because bye weeks are one of the three things on the screen. I think people are overstacking them. I I, I would uh, uh, add that I think one of my – I talked about step one. Step one is finding your spike week stud and making – your lineup like a sniper bullet, right? Mm -hmm. You're only looking to take out one person, right? And I think Mike Leone proved in his best ball manifesto, the more players you have active on any given week, the better your chance is of winning. And so by stacking bye weeks, what you're doing is you're making it so that you have, you know, if you have a quarterback with week, I made a couple week 13 ones where probably 12 out of my 18 picks all were off week 13. The reason yeah. for that is that all the other weeks, I'm going to have more players active. And mm -hmm. that is one of the key strategies here is to have, um, and that's why you don't draft two quarterbacks, right? in most builds, because when you have two quarterbacks, you're hedging your bet and one of your, you know, let's say you Justin Fields goes for 40 points and you've got Kirk Cousins who scores 20. Well, that's a ninth round pick, 10th round pick for Kirk Cousins. That's a ninth round pick that my, I don't, and the other thing you got to realize is 
when you build these lineups, you're looking for only one or two weeks per team. All you need is one or two weeks. I don't like uh, targeting weeks because a lot of guys are doing it. And I don't want to guess when my spike week stud is going to go off, Aiden. But what I do want is to give them the most ammo and the most uniqueness possible while, while having as much value as possible to get to the top. Thoughts? So a lot of that I agree with. I will say there are times when I am aiming for specific weeks, but it is does come down to tiebreakers. And the one that I like stacking the most is week 7 and 13, where most – or that that's the week where there's the most NFL teams on by. So there's a lot of players. Uh, if you just, if you stacked, didn't matter if you stacked week four buys week eight buys, doesn't really matter. As long as you have the players that are available in week seven and week 13, because all the other people that you've been drafting against, they're going to have players on by things like five or six teams are on by that week. So I've been looking at week seven and week 13 matchups. And if a team is playing the Texans, for example, they're playing the Colts, for example, I will break a tiebreaker based off the week seven or week 13 matchup. And I am focusing my team. If at the first five rounds, if they all have good matchups in week seven or, or week 13, then I will start looking at week 13. That's kind of the exception here. And I'm not sure how many people are actually doing that. It's kind of hard to, to tell because you have to it, memorize. Even if a lot of people in the community do it, there's so many people who aren't in aren't the community yeah. in these. And, and again, it's when I said it wasn't my strategy, I didn't say it wasn't viable. Mm -hmm. I just think that there's a lot to consider, but it's hard to manage. Get, yeah. And um, let's, let's get, um, let's get the first lineup up, Sean, uh, my producer, Sean for the day. Um, and, and, and let's go through each one. All right. So this is an example of what I'm talking about. So in a regular draft, Hayden, I would never draft eight running backs and six wide receivers and three tight ends and one quarterback. All of those right. are wacky, right? Yes. But what it's doing is it's giving me more opportunity to get those other positions. So you'll notice in this lineup, I've got Mark Andrews. So I believe very strongly in elite tight ends in this format because they give you the same correlation uh same almost the same separation as quarterbacks but it's not done as much your thought on that i disagree because i think that the quarterbacks separate more than people think and i think that trend's gonna stay because all of the elite quarterbacks are in the primes of their career and the elite tight ends right now i would say are not in the primes of their career. So if we're looking at historical data, which one, which trend do I think is going to stay around longer? I think the elite quarterbacks are going to stay very good. And I would not be surprised if Travis Kelsey takes a step back. If George Kittle takes a step back, for example, Darren Waller is now uh, a little bit older. So I think that the, there's a better chance that the late round tight ends can close the gap more than the quarterback twos and quarterback threes can close the gaps on the elite quarterback so that's like my only difference there but that's that's okay the, Sean, put there, that back up and there is a difference in the price tags there too i gotta mention the elite quarterbacks yeah. are up the elite tight ends aside from travis kelsey are down so it is being priced in uh for a lot of it all right so here's how one quarterback obviously right it's Tua, and i've got tyreek and waddle but notice where i took Tua. yeah I passed on him twice. Mm -hmm. And the reason I did that was because I had Hill and Waddle. 
And I figured, boy, there's going to be a lot of hill waddles, but there's not going to be too many where that you also get two at 20 picks later. Right. So I think that is an interesting strategy. But here's the other thing. You'll notice that I go fragile at wide receiver. Yep. Um, Justin famously did the four running backs. You need to start two. He picked four. So to me, two X is the is kind of the, the smart way to do that. So you've got six wide receivers, which is two X. You know, I know I need three of them. So what I did was, you'll notice, pick five, pick 20, pick 44, 53, 77, and 101. All spike week guys other than Godwin, who I got 12, you know, I got eight pick value on. And as you mentioned, he's certainly viable here. And then I hit running back real heavy and I give it a lot of weight. In other words, I gave a lot of weight in draft capital to the wide receiver position but I, so I give a lot of weight at running back to the um, to to, volume to, to the volume of, number of. And then the other thing that I don't think, and you could take that down now. And the other thing that I think is real sneaky is think of it on the weeks that I'm going to hit. And let's say most lineups don't have two. Dolphins. And and there was a week last week where all three of Tua, Hill, and Waddle went for 40 points. So it's not like what we were talking about, an issue where you're limiting your upside by taking two. But my point is that when you when your stack hits, you've already filled one of those wide receiver spots, mm-hmm. right? Because you know he, he's a wide receiver, and that's what you're building for. So I only need two more, maybe three really big weeks out of wide receiver. And and to me, that's kind of a sneaky thought, Hayden. I completely agree. I wrote a column last offseason for Best Ball Mania, and I argued that we need more six wide receiver builds out there. And this was in the environment where people were drafting a 10th and 11th wide receiver. And this is where I disagree with some of the weekly winners content that's out there. I believe diminishing returns massively applies into this. And I've been seeing so many like 12 wide receiver builds, for example, but I like how you did this where you have a diminishing returns. You drafted your fifth good wide receiver. You basically are done. You tacked on Brandon cooks or whatever it was at the last spot. Um, But I think that the diminishing returns does exist. And I think that you should be looking at how your team looks like through round 10. Um, And I thought it was very smart of you to keep passing on Tua because you're daring the other teams that don't have any dolphin stacks to snipe you and if you do get sniped there i think that you should be okay kind of letting that draft go because the advantage that you have is worth the risk that you got sniped there um and the dolphins are one of the, like the the very narrowest skill groups in the league where you can get multiple uh groups so i think that that roster right there was very good and I don't like drafting to a 73rd overall. I don't think the projection there makes any sense. The fact that you were able to get him that far after, I thought was very sharp. Yeah, I think he goes in the sixth round every time, almost always. So I don't mind taking him at the end of the sixth. Well, when I first started and I had no Tyreek and Waddles, I was willing to pay that price. But as time went along, I was looking to differentiate what I already did. Um, so I, I agree with that. 
And if you look at it, I've got three high-end upside tight ends that give me a chance to separate. I, I, I've got my stack. I've got six wide receivers with high-end guys. And then I'm ca- I need to get lucky at running back, right? And if I get lucky at running back, I could take down a week. Um, let's put up lineup number two. So this is one where you incorporate Justin Fields. <clears throat> and I went – all right. So on this one, I went fragile at running back. I've got one in the first round and one in the second round. And then, you know, one like the 10th round and two late guys. So even though it's five, it's built in a way that there's fragility built in. And the only reason I took Tajay as a fifth, I had planned on stopping, was because I love Tajay. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you see that my uh, this is a rare Keenan Allen team for me, but I got a 10 pick value. Rare. So the thought process here was because I'm looking for a big week from Fields and I'm looking for a big week from Eckler and Chubb, right? That's what my bet is on this team. My bet is that Fields gives me 45 without bringing along uh, DJ Moore, that Eckler and Chubb also have big weeks. So I wanted a little bit of floor with Keenan. And this is one of the earliest teams I did. I wanted a little bit of a floor with my first two wide receivers. And then every wide receiver after is pretty much a home run hitter. Yep. And I think that's the way to do this. You didn't have early round wide receivers, so you were able to get 10 of them. And I, I do think 10 for me is kind of the magic number. I was looking at uh, points added to your roster, just looking at BBM3 data based off of it, if it's your wide receiver 10, wide receiver 11, your tight end two, all that. And there is a diminishing returns once you get to about wide receiver 10 and the tight end three, tight end four, tight end five even actually give you some more points there. So I, I do think that the diminishing returns, I would still cap my roster at 10, even if you are going with the late uh, wide receiver build. But I do like how you skipped out. Uh, I'm assuming you drafted Keenan Allen over DJ Moore straight up, even though that they're ADP and pick. They're probably both at the very top of this queue when you're on the clock at 44. I don't, I don't remember. It was one of the earliest ones. Most likely te- was. You can tell because Justin Fields was going pick 41 yeah, here. Right. And, you know, obviously he's going in the 20s now. So right. I, I was kind of ahead of the curve with mm-hmm. Justin Fields. Yep. And I was willing to push up. All right. Let's go to lineup number three. So. Someone might say, you never draft two quarterbacks. When I draft two quarterbacks, this is how I like to do it. I spent pick 151 and 199, and I've got it stacked with, um, which, I, do I, which, Burks. I got Burks to go with Tannehill, and I've yep. got Debo to go with Purdy. Um, I've got two tight ends here. I probably could have gone with a third. Um but, you know, this this is how I – if I'm going to split the baby, so to speak, this is how I do it. Thoughts on this one, Hayden? Yeah, I think that this team could even add a third quarterback. I do think that I want to push back on the, uh, the diminishing returns at quarterback because I think that a team with, like, 10 wide receivers, if you drafted a bunch of wide receivers early – that ninth, eighth, ninth, and tenth wide receiver is still hedging against the wide receivers, as right. is the quarterback two is uh, against your quarterback one. But I think that that problem exists 
at all positions, not just at quarterback. So I do think that there's viable teams that can have three or four quarterbacks in them as long as they aren't on the elite quarterbacks. I do think there's a difference between drafting a quarterback in round three or two versus round eight or nine. So like, for example, a Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson stack, I would more than be willing to draft multiple quarterbacks on that team because I do think that the diminishing returns uh, does exist at quarterback, but I do think it also exists with your eighth right eighth running back, your fourth tight end, your 10th wide receiver as well. So I, I do think some of these really late round quarterback teams are pretty interesting um, if you can correlate them. Yeah. And Purdy, let's face it, Purdy, if he was healthy we'll go early. and we knew he was the guy would be going three or four rounds earlier. Right. Um, so, all right. Let's go to the next one. All right, so here is that Aaron Rodgers. So I went with Tyreek, and again, you'll see one, two, three, four, five. I did go seven. I probably, and you know, mistakes sometimes are made. I don't think I needed to go with Mingo here. Um, you got great value on him, though. 30 What's picks that? After, 30 picks after ADP on Mingo, though. Oh, that's what it was. All right, there you go. Um, and, and you can see, again, I have a, a really good tight end. I like Gasicki because he... He pops. I did add the second player on the team in Conklin. Um, I don't hate that because, you know, uh, tight ends are so touchdown dependent. Yep. We'll see, you know, if it's a real big game for the Jets, I, I think Conklin can come along. Uh, yep. Your thoughts on this team? Well, this was a good example of if I am doing a double stack, I want the tight end to be a part of it because they just need raw or they need fewer raw points, raw receptions, raw uh, yards, raw touchdowns to be a difference maker at the position compared to wide receivers. So if I am going to double stack teams, it's going to be with one wide receiver and one tight end and Conklin at his price tag. I do think he could do it. He actually even had a spike week or two last year in a disastrous Jets team I think like the only thing I would like possibly change about this team would be getting rid of the Pierre strong and then drafting Ryan Tannehill if he was available something like that where you're adding the correlation you're not really shooting yourself Aaron Rodgers went so late in this uh after pick 100 I don't think there's that much opportunity cost and Ryan Tannehill um, I don't think has as much opportunity cost like for Aaron Rodgers as like Pierre Strong, if he's in your lineup, that most likely means something's happened to Saquon, Brees Hall, or Brian Robinson. It, um, it was a unusual draft in that I wasn't planning on Barkley, but I couldn't pass him at 31. I wasn't oh, yeah. planning on Brees Hall, but I couldn't pass him at 42. It's an amazing team. This is this is right now, and I think this is one of your upcoming questions. Right now, because everyone's panicking about the elite. Uh, uh, running backs right now. I think this is the best time to be drafting right now because these price tags, I do not think are going to hold. I think it's going to be very hard to find Brees Hall in the forties. Same thing with Saquon uh, at this time was when he had his uh, holdout risk that has since corrected. So if you can be buying the dips on Josh Jacobs, Ramondre Brees Hall because of either holdout risk or because they might add an, a Zeke Elliott type of back, I think I want to be taking on all the risk because we're ta we're talking about upside here. You say Florida doesn't matter. I agree. So I say it matters way less. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. It matters a little bit, but not I think less so for your first couple picks. You need your first and second round guys to be absolute dudes.
No, no, that, 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 that's not what I mean. By, in other words, once you get past the fourth round, you're giving up some floor or some ceiling. Right. In most drafts, I try and blend my team somewhere in the middle. Right. You know, where I have enough of both. Where in, in, in weekly winners, like if you look, Christian Kirk, Quentin Johnson, Traylon Burke, Shahid, Mingo, all high upside guys. Right. Um, that, 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 that's a lot more what I'm looking for in this. Let's go to team five. All right. So this is your team, Hayden. Um, tell us about this team and the different strategies you incorporated. Yeah, so this is Josh Allen with Gabe Davis. We talked about why we like that. I think that this team is unique because I think a lot of the Josh Allen teams will have Steph Diggs. So basically uh, what I'm thinking with this is that even if Josh Allen has a big week, Steph Diggs can have a decent week. But if Nick Chubb is the guy that you actually needed in the round one where he has a 35-38 point game, I think that those odds do exist. And there is a uniqueness angle with it. Beyond that... um, I drafted four late rounds. I agree with that, by the way. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, I built uh, where I don't have much interest in Christian McCaffrey in BBM. I do build Christian McCaffrey teams in this. Interesting. Why is that exactly? Well, because he's a, he, he, over the last number of years, no one's gotten to 40 more than McCaffrey. But wouldn't you want that in BBM too? Yeah. Um, in BBM, I'm more concerned with lose. I'm I'm more concerned with the opportunity cost of passing on wide receivers. Okay, fair enough. Um, and then beyond beyond that, I have um, four late round tight ends, and I think that people are underestimating how often random tight ends spike. Like Tyler Conklin, we already mentioned, had some spike weeks. If Jake Ferguson can get some of the Dalton Schultz role, I think that Ferguson could spike. Same thing with Luke Musgrave, a rookie tight end, really athletic. I think it's going to be a starter. And then Hunter Henry, we've seen him score lots of touchdowns just back in 2021. So this is one of those teams where I kind of got in and kind of got out at the wide receiver position. I spent, what, a third-round pick on Calvin Ridley. Gabe Davis is part of my stack. But the rest, like my wide receiver three through wide receiver seven, are not early-round guys at all. So this, to me, is like where in weekly winners, the wide receivers are being pushed up even more in BBM. And the BBM price tags on, on wide receivers are out of control. So I want to be putting more uh, spots into the running back position. And I drafted a couple more running back flex type, type of guys on that team than I did with the wide receivers. And the other kind of little advantage is if a running back is in your flex, that somewhat at least minimizes the odds that another elite quarterback got there. If a wide receiver is in your flex, that means that somebody was doing well. At the position, if a running back's in your flex, maybe just the passing numbers around the entire league were down, and you there's less correlation if you have that one-off running back versus that wide receiver. Yeah, and, and again, I like Christian McCaffrey, but I like Austin Eckler just as much. So mm-hmm. I feel like you know my you know for BBM, I'm I don't know. I just find it hard to pass on Cup and Tyreek Hill for Christian McCaffrey um, when you consider the value at running back throughout the whole draft board for BBM um, that, you know, just to expound on why mm-hmm. I, I feel the, you know, I'm, I'm about 3% right now and I'll finish four to 5% on CMC in best ball mania. I got, I got a question for you. I've not gotten a great answer from anybody on this. Why do the 
elite quarterbacks go so much earlier in weekly winners than they do in best ball mania. People are more desperate to get their stacks than they are in, in, in BBM, I guess. Um, I think they're, they're, they're more, uh, and I think they feel that that quarterback is the way to differentiate and to separate. I, I agree. I think people are almost getting there that, that they're did I get it? Admitting, yeah, well, I, they're basically admitting that their ups, their weekly upside does exist, even against the positions that are being drafted in the second and third round, which is a good thing for BBM as well. Um, and that the stacking matters, and that you should the quarterback is a massive part of the stack. People keep saying that the quarterback is the least important part of the stack. I completely disagree. If the quarterback isn't good, then there is no stack. We need the quarterback to be good. That's how the NFL runs. So I think. We're almost there. I think the weekly winner's price tags for quarterbacks is market value. And I think that in BBM, we have not fully caught up, even though their ADP has gone up this year versus last year. We're almost I, there. I don't know. And and here, I'll push back on – you've pushed back on a couple things. I'll push back on this mm -hmm. one. Let and, and again, you know, you were completely right. When they were going in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, they were way underpriced, right? And mm -hmm. in this format, in half PPR – with underdogs scoring, you know, maybe not elsewhere, but they were mm -hmm. definitely in underdog. But last year, for the first time that I can remember, the second tier of quarterbacks completely failed, mm -hmm. right? It's kind of why was Kelsey so good last year? Well, Kelsey was so good because he had a great year. Andrews was hurt. Hawkinson was, you know, um, Waller was hurt. Mm -hmm. um Pitts was hurt and failed you know that made the difference between a Kelsey team and you know it, it it's like a seesaw best ball yes. is and, and is like a seesaw if if you lean if one thing leans too far one way in a certain year it, it's not that it shouldn't have tilted some that way but right. it tilts all the way right yep um and I feel like you know last year Dak was hurt uh, Stafford was hurt and sucked. Uh, Russ was a complete disaster. All those guys who you drafted last year in the in the theory that they could keep you close enough to the elite guys, yeah. they all failed. So right. I, I do think it's going to be interesting this year. My most uh, two most known quarterbacks are Watson and Dak. I think both of them give me the ability to feel like I can – keep up with those other guys right now if one of them you know if joe burrow puts up 50 points in uh in week 16 you know then you're toast right, right. but i i and and, and you want to have some of those teams too but uh yeah your thoughts on that i think that watson is the guy that sits between the elites and the non-elite that has a path to get there when i'm looking at the rest of the borderline quarterback one two range it is very uninspiring when it comes to actually paths to uh, elite outcomes. Like your Kirk Cousins, all of those type of guys, there is no upside. They, they're, they've been in the league too long. They don't run enough. And the big difference to me over the last couple of years, and last year proved this out especially, the elite passers in the NFL are also the elite rushers. That's never yeah. happened in, no. in ever in the sport ever. And never. that will not change. Moving forward, there's not it's not going to be a bunch of drop back passers in the NFL. 
it's going to be crazy athletes that also happen to be extremely good at passing the ball. And I think all the historical trends when Tom Brady was running the league, of course, Tom Brady wasn't separating from your Cam Newtons because Tom Brady is not offering any of the uh, rushing upside. Like your Josh Allen teams, he, his passing numbers versus Tom Brady's passing numbers aren't, aren't that dissimilar, but you're getting it's extremely high ceilings with the rushing guys. And with the red zone, uh, Jalen Hurts push, I'm also interested to see if other teams start using goal line sneaks with their quarterbacks. And if that happens, running backs aren't getting as many touchdowns. Receivers aren't getting as much touchdowns. Tight ends aren't getting as much touchdowns. So there's only more upside for the big, strong, athletic quarterbacks. And I'm not sure if that's been been priced up enough. And I'm buying into last year's trend holding up because there's no way Kirk Cousins can keep, can keep up with no. Josh Allen. No, but Watson and Dak give you some ground. Watson can for sure. Um, I, I, I mean, I bought the dip on Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. I, you know, Lamar goes around later, so I would rather draft Lamar and Fields than I would Josh Allen. I, um, I'm fine with that. And and Hurts. Yep. Um, you know, I think people are underestimating how much Buff, uh, Buffalo, Chicago has improved around Justin Fields and. I know you're big points above replacement. We call it different things, mm-hmm. but it's the same thing. And we both got there on our own. In If you take out those first five weeks before Justin Fields was allowed to be Justin Fields. Right. He averaged the second most points above replacement in those last 10, 12 games. He was just under Mahomes. He was just ahead of Josh Allen. Um, I think people are sleeping on fields and I love it because I think um, I think he could, uh, you know, when I watched him, I didn't think he was a bad passer. I, I no. didn't get that. This yeah. guy can't pass feeling. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's finish up with one thing on best ball mania. I am so stoked about how the board is laying out right now. And I'm wondering if you feel the same way, Sean, could you put up that last graphic? So here's a team that I did, and I did go elite. Um, I love Josh Allen now that he's fallen in the third round. I don't feel the need to have digs. And and here's your boy Gabe Davis. That's right. Who I, you know, I I got. Um, so I feel like there's such good value at running back that you can wait here, and you'll notice like from 75 to 166, I think you can fill up a great. So basically wide receiver drops off right around ninth, 10th round. And that's, and there's still plenty of good options, especially for half PPR. I love Brian Robinson right now. Um, and then, you know, l- there's so many good late tight ends that I like that. I feel like the board is laid out where, you know, and then and uh, and I and, and then you got guys in the like for the last round, Josh Downs, Michael Wilson. Um, there's a bunch. You could take it down now, Sean. Um, there's a bunch of really good uh, rookie wide receivers who I think are undervalued. 